Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 59 for May the 6th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Richard Wang, who's the manager of our Sophos Labs in the United States in, in our Burlington, Massachusetts office. Welcome, Richard. Hey, thanks, Chet. Nice to be back on Chat Chat. Yeah, it's been a while. I don't remember the last time I was here in Burlington. I had a chance. Uh, we, we did the chat chat back then, and I uh, appreciate you sitting down today at the, the end of Friday before the weekend. So um, we got quite a bit of news this week, and I, I think everything's been kind of dominated by, well, Osama bin Laden and Sony. Uh, and you know, the Osama stuff, I think, is not worth going into detail. It's kind of your standard scams that we see every week on Facebook and all these different sites. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much the the latest news story that the the guy the bad guys have cottoned onto, but not really anything novel in terms of how they're using it to attack. No, it would be it would just be more Will's and Kate's lures or Will's and Kate lures if it wasn't for the fact that this made the news. It was just kind of a shift in target uh, for the news, anyhow. But the Sony stuff now, this story just seems to not stop developing. Um, you know, started out you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago with them kind of announcing that PlayStation Network had been compromised and they took it offline. And then Monday of this week, they made another press release, which led a lot of people to think to, that it was a second attack. But I think from everything I've read and confirmation I've seen in a few journalists uh, posting is that you know, it was the same exact attack. They just didn't realize that they'd somehow bridged networks and had gotten from the PlayStation Network into the Sony Online Entertainment Network. And Sony Online Entertainment, if people aren't familiar with it, is kind of their massively multiplayer role-playing service that has things like Star Wars Galaxies and um, Dungeon something. I, I'm, I'm not much into that. Yeah, I think, I think they have a, a couple of their Facebook game properties under there as well. Yeah, I did see something about that. So they, they, they shut down their Facebook apps because it all tied into the same system? Yeah. So it's it's... Interesting the way it, it took, obviously it took them quite a while to work out that the one attack had be, had expanded there. And I think also significantly that they, although they don't know from the PlayStation Network attack whether any banking or credit card details are stolen, they have announced they are, that that stuff definitely has been taken from some European users of uh, Sony Online Entertainment. Yeah, that was a bit scary. I was talking to a couple journalists about that earlier this week because not only was it um, debit and credit card numbers potentially, but there was also some um, implication. I guess they were doing direct debit checking stuff for some European users in Germany and Switzerland and Netherlands. Yes, and, Austria and Spain as well, I think. Yeah, and that's really scary because if you've got somebody's ABN routing numbers off their checks and stuff like that, in theory, I assume you could fraudulently try to do wires or transfers and other things. It seems more sensitive than simply getting my my credit card information without my CVV. Yeah, because pretty much the way that direct debit works, um, certainly across a lot of Europe, is the, the, com the company that has your details, they just extract the money directly from your bank account. Yeah, and I think here in, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, many of us do that kind of thing with our electricity provider or different utilities and stuff, but it's not a common method of payment for services that are you know, non kind of municipal kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see what, I mean, today's news on the Sony stuff was, uh, and I think it's a lot of speculation, but CNET.com published a story today saying that in monitoring IRC chat channels, a group of hackers in, uh, said that they've compromised more Sony web servers now and that they're going to launch an attack this weekend. 
that seems kind of improbable to me. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong and I'll be eating crow next week on the chat chat. But, you know, I, I think if you actually were a skilled attacker and had compromised someone like Sony and wanted to potentially embarrass them further by taking some action on the weekend, you probably wouldn't tell them about that the day before. No, probably not. And I, th and I think well, I would certainly hope that one of the things Sony are doing is looking at the web properties that are still up and are still available and making sure that you know they're secure and they're not going to be broken into in quite the same way as we've seen with um, PSN and SOE. Well, that's an enormous challenge, right? When you when you look at the big picture and you go, well, Sony's such a giant company to try to secure all the different divisions and bits and pieces just because, you know, the spotlight's turned on right now is going to be a difficult, difficult job. I mean, uh, they own, what, you know, like five movie companies and half the music industry. And, you know, there's a lot of things associated with them. And if the motives of these attackers are truly political and not necessarily to actually steal our identities other than to make everybody worry about doing business with Sony, then there's almost an endless list of things they could go after and then afterwards go see, but it's part of Sony, right? I mean, it's BMG records, but sure, but it's Sony. Um, it's kind of scary to think, you know, how hard it is to, to secure an organization of that size with that many visible, uh, you know, outward network-facing assets. Certainly, and of course, they'll, they'll all be broken into separate business units and they'll, have, they'll each be managing their own infrastructure in, in most cases. So yeah. there'll be a lot of work for a lot of uh, admins at Sony for the next few weeks. So another break-in scare that occurred this week was LastPass.com. Um, I actually am a LastPass user. I know a lot of other people that use the use their services for managing large quantities of passwords. Uh, you know, contrasting to Sony, you know, I think they they seem to have gotten it right. Like, what did you think of their approach? Yes, I I, I very much like LastPass's approach to to in, informing their users and not only. Um, making sure that people change their passwords, but also they gave quite a lot of information about what they knew about the attack, what they didn't know about the attack, and why they were taking the action that they were. You know, they'd seen some data possibly leave the network. It was enough to suspect that maybe there'd been a compromise and they were being overly cautious. Now, obviously, for a company like LastPass, which depends entirely on the security of their infrastructure for their reputation, for their business, then it's right for them to, to go more down that route than, say, Sony may do, but they, they've been very open with what they're doing and they've been mostly helpful about uh, getting people to uh, reset their passwords and also put in, put in place some um, security around the resetting of the password, making sure that people are using an IP address that they've come from before or verifying with an email uh, what's going on. Uh, we have seen a, a couple of LastPass users have kind of fallen into a bit of a catch-22 situation whereby they, they've secured their email with LastPass, and now they need to get to their email to reset their LastPass password, a um, bit like locking your keys in the car uh, for those people. So they're, they're going to need a little bit of extra help to, to get themselves out of that. Um, but I think maybe there, there is a lesson there for, for us all that um, you know, some applying a, a system like LastPass to help you manage the huge number of passwords that you now need online is great. But maybe there are a couple of passwords you should probably just hold in your head. Yeah, things that's... like your email password, your primary banking password, things like that, which you're going to be really in trouble if you don't have access to. Yeah, that's exactly what I do, Richard. I mean, I use LastPass and I rely on it for a lot of things. But 
Above all, I keep a backup of my LastPass database locally on a USB stick with me that's encrypted. I also have a separate banking password that I've memorized that's equally as complex as my LastPass password that I keep in my head. And same thing for my primary email account that I use for verification. I have another complex. I can me- I can memorize three of them. or Well, and really, reality is four or five because I keep separate passwords at Sophos and things like that. But... You know, I, I, I've wondered about this very situation in the past when I was setting all this up, and I'm like, you know what, LastPass can help me manage those 750-odd things that I've created a login to, and that's what I'm really trying to accomplish by using that tool. And for the things that are really near and dear to me, I have other things I can do to remember those passwords. Yeah, and, and the, the systems that are really near and dear, they're probably things you're going to be logging into on a pretty frequent basis, so it's not going to be a real problem to memorize even a fairly complex password for those because you'll get into the habit of using it. Yeah, and I'm not worried about things like uh, writing passwords down. I'm not afraid to write a password down when I'm learning it and, and keeping it somewhere secure. I mean, somehow I keep my credit cards, my passport, and the 150 US dollars that are in my wallet right now secure. And I, I, know, I don't ever lose them, and nobody ever acquires them from me. And I feel confident in saying, you know, it's all right to write down your password, especially when you're setting a new one and you actually follow good practice and set something rather complicated. And after three weeks, when you figure out, all right, you know, it's permanently embedded in the brain cells now. I've typed it enough. Um, you know, now I can shred that or burn it or, you know, whatever. Uh, I guess burning things is not ecologically sensitive anymore, but, um, I, I'm still a fan. I like to see things go up in flames. Um, so going from there, we were, um, there, there's patch Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, which I guess the, I'm trying to think about the dates now we're on the May 6th today. So 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. So Tuesday, the 10th. And it's kind of a boring one, which is good. I think everybody needed a little spring break to not have to run around and test 50 different patches. And last month was a bit of a bunker buster. So uh, we've got two, I think. Yeah, just two this time. One for uh, Windows Server platforms and one for Office. Um, I think the the thing that caught my eye, particularly about the server patch, is that it's also going to apply to those folks who've uh, installed just server core to uh, obviously in an, in an effort to reduce the attack surface on their servers and maybe reduce the number of times they need to patch I'm afraid this one is going to is going to hit you if you're using server core and you need to get this implemented does it mention whether a reboot's required um it does say that a reboot may be required maybe required so it's it's unclear exactly which operating systems are going to need a reboot and which circumstances that applies to so I guess we'll just have to wait till next week. And I think when I looked at it, it was the, the, the Windows Server was critical and the Office was important. So that's um, being that it's critical, it may be something that people have, especially to have externally facing assets that may be under attack, like, I don't know, Sony. Um, perhaps may want to look into the criticality of the server patch, but um, at least it should be a light one for everybody to figure out what it means on Tuesday. And as usual, those will be posted at 10 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesday morning. And very shortly thereafter, the Sophos Labs analysis will be up in our knowledge base on Article 43444. Or, of course, you can always get our information at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And the last, uh, the last bit of stories here are some search engine optimization guys have really seemed to be gaming Google hard the last couple weeks, especially. I mean, for some reason, I was surprised that the press was reporting it as like a new thing that Google image search can lead to malware because we've been seeing that for well over a year. I think I've been seeing it anyway, and maybe even longer for you guys in the labs. Yeah, we've certainly been seeing it for quite a while. The one that uh, actually sticks in my head that we saw not too long ago, a couple of months ago, was as soon as uh, the uh, William and Kate engagement was announced, we saw a lot of Google image uh, SEO around that. 
yeah, there, there seems I've, I've been seeing a, a big spike in it, I guess, is maybe why everybody's noticing. And, that you know, I use Google Image Search quite frequently. And in my normal use of it, I see something malicious about one in 10 times. And right now, every single page seems to have multiple malicious links, no matter what I search for. So it, it certainly shifted around a bit. Although I heard today that there was some um, Twittering going on amongst security people saying that uh, Google seemed to have done a pretty good job. They implemented something new and cleaned up a whole ton of it. Because uh, some of the researchers were saying they were having difficulty finding poisoned image search results this afternoon, so that's good news. Maybe maybe Google's figured out a algorithm for the methods and the madness of how they're getting their their bogus results raised. But as part of this research, and I was working with the the lab in Vancouver before I left, we we found some new Mac. Uh, they're Mac aware, right? If you visit it with a OS ten computer, it'll serve up an actual Mac fake AV malware. So unlike the Accusations that are often tossed around at us when we talk about Mac things. This is actually in the wild and was actually hitting real Mac users. Yeah, this is certainly something we've seen. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen fake AV for the Mac. We've seen a couple of attempts at it before, but this is by far the most widespread we've seen and certainly the, the most successful so far in the wild in terms of attacking Mac users and getting fake AV onto their systems. Yeah, it still does require the social engineering element, um, of course, because you do have to install the Trojan. Well, that's true, but then uh, the the cross-platform vulnerability in this case is the user, and users are users, whether they're sitting in front of Macs or Windows machines. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I find it amusing because there, there's a few amusing things. I mean, there's not a lot amusing about fake AV, but the two things that stand out to me are that it, it does what it says on the box. I mean, it, it detects fake viruses. So you can consider fake AV a very successful product at detecting fake viruses. And the other part of it is that Mac users don't think they need antivirus. So fake AV for Mac seems like one of the least profitable routes to go. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. But then, you know, we're out there trying to get the message out there. And I, again, this is, this is why, or at least in my opinion, it's part of why fake AV has worked so well in that legitimate security companies are actually having some success getting the security message out there, persuading people that they do actually need to worry about what's going on and they need to secure themselves, they need to secure their data. And of course, the bad guys are just going to piggyback on that message and try and take advantage. Yeah, we're seeing, the, uh, I was playing with the sample, the earlier, the, some of the earliest samples. We've seen quite a few variants of this thing already. It's changed its website several times where you go to purchase the, the fake product. It's, um, we've, I think, I, I don't know how many variants we've seen in the lab now. I know at least six uh, from yeah, the communications I've been having. Yeah, and, and originally it was calling itself um, Mac Defender, which is a real antivirus product for Mac. So the, the poor guy behind that project was getting a lot of weird questions from people who thought he was the purveyor of the fake stuff. There's a lot of activity at Sophos this week with our uh, acquisition of Estero that was announced this morning. So I think next week is going to be quite a busy week answering a lot of questions and planning out uh, all the business operational things. There's a, a lot of buzz in the company. So we'll uh, probably have another late week chat chat next week. Thanks for joining us, Richard. And uh, until next week, uh, as always, get the latest news at nakedsecurity.sophos.com Our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com And until next week, stay secure.